And that is so true, isn't it? Uh, you know, just seeing God blessing, but not always when we expect it or at the timing that we want. Um, I can remember one time when I was leading, we used to do Christian Vision for Men, and um, I think I might have mentioned this a, like a few months back or when we first started. I we needed ten grand like by Monday, or the whole charity was going to fold. And it was on the Saturday that someone pledged uh, ten thousand pounds. was completely out of the blue. It's a, a miraculous story, which I won't go into now. But I but I I said to the Lord on the Monday. Um, you know, because we never carried a loan, never carried a debt as a ministry. We just paid our bills on time, but we just desperately needed ten thousand pounds to to pay salaries, basically. And uh, I said to the Lord, "Why, you know, why Jesus give us the money a week earlier? You know, why do they have to be on? What's that all about? Do you know what I mean? Because everyone says it. What's that all about? Why did you have to let me know it was coming by electronic transfer on the Monday, on the Saturday? Why'd I have to go for that stress?" I just felt the Lord say to me, we didn't need it before Saturday. So, what's your problem? Oh, that's true, isn't it? That's true. You just have to trust, didn't you? You just have to trust. It's kind of be easy if everything was in place, wouldn't it, really? Anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the evils of beetroot this morning. So, I just need to get myself sorted out. And, hey, I was just thinking during the worship there, you know, I was so grateful, really, because when we planted a church, Karen and I, back in back in the 90s, um, you know, I had to teach myself how to play the guitar. Do you remember this, Karen? It's really painful. I had to, you know, seriously, I had to teach myself to play the guitar so we could worship God. And and most weeks, because of that, it wasn't really worship. You know, it was just just horrible, really. And but people used to join in enthusiastically. And once we moved out of houses, you know, we went into into this community hall, where sometimes there'd be kids' parties next door, and they'd be like doing the you know the funky chicken or something, you know, next door while we we're trying to worship. Or it's like, oh Lord, I could do do do, you know, and all this. And we're like in the middle of you know, shine Jesus shine or something, which is still popular back then. And it was, you know. It was just, the whole thing was just a mess, really. And, and I couldn't play guitar properly. I got better. I mean, I've been playing it now because that, that was like 20 years ago, on and off. You know, I got a lot better. But back then, it wasn't very masterful. And I, I even used to use Karen's uh, classic guitar, Spanish guitar, <laughs> which you can even plug in, you know. And then, then we led some pub musicians to faith. But, you know, I hadn't really done a discipleship piece. So they started playing the music for us. And we did this community outreach barbecue and um, we just put a load of spare ribs and steaks and stuff on these big old drum barbecues. And these guys only come to faith about a week earlier. I said, oh, can you do some music for us? I mean, oh, you know, he was really cool, one of them. He's like, yeah, man, no problem, man. And uh, so the first song they did, they up all the amps. The first song they did at the Community Christian Outreach Barbecue was I Want Your Sex, Baby. So I was like, this is really bad. You know, I just didn't, this whole thing's just a mess, you know. Then I went to Hotel California and I was like, oh no, Lord, Do you know, seriously. So, you know, I just think we're really blessed, is what I'm saying. You might not feel that every week, you know, when you come in, we had to clear desks out of the kids' room again this morning and, you know, and, and, and you know, for guys like Chris standing up, which can feel quite exposed, kind of leading worship to everyone, who's quite vulnerable. But actually, we're really blessed, you know, uh, with what we're seeing God do amongst us. And week by week, we've seen his testimonies of God's grace. 
where you know he's moving amongst us and i just think it's an incredible blessing really to see what jesus is doing and we are blessed with some you know real talent in the church too and when i drop the kids off drop the kids off a soul survivor <laughs> and left it in two minutes but i was i was looking at all our teenagers i mean loads of them and they, they they're just great kids you know and excited about being there and following jesus and I thought, man, you know, back in the 90s when we were church, but I'd love to have had that, you know. I just think it's great, really. We never lose sight of, of that, you know, uh, what, what God is doing. So I wanted to say that partly as well, just while we were worshipping, or just sort of musing, because we are talking about this subject, what is evil, which isn't a really chirpy, cheery uh, subject for Sunday morning, but it needs to be framed, when we think about evil, in a context of, God's goodness, his grace, his power, his sovereignty, what Jesus did, who Jesus is. Uh, I don't want to major on, you know, this isn't a talk about Ouija boards, right? It's not, uh, we're not talking about horror films necessarily or anything like that. I just want to put in context that we are in a spiritual battle. We just want to understand that we're engaged in spiritual warfare because I think what's happened in, particularly in the Western church, We've we've lost we've lost the spiritual dynamic of what this is all about. You know, we worship, we teach about Jesus, we pray for people, but we've lost the sense that actually the spiritual world is to me just as real, if not more real, than the world that we see and touch around us at the moment. I think materialism has done that, consumerism's done that, we're you know, modernism did that. You know, we had the industrial revolution. We can make whatever we want. We just, we just got really robustly into material things, and we've lost this sense that the, the world is deeply spiritual and there are spiritual powers at work around us. This world that we can see and touch now will pass away. Yeah. It will go. Fact. You know, and when we experience real life, because I really believe that real life is yet to come in, the, in eternity, it will be as if you're woken up from a dream. It will be stunning and amazing. And you will feel complete as if you're woken up from a dream. It doesn't mean to say that we don't experience life in all its fullness now. That's what Jesus said we're here to do. This doesn't mean to say we don't enjoy resealing the shower cubicle, uh, being married, or in loving our kids, you know, holidays, experiences, but the, the real life is yet to come. But in the meantime, the Bible shows us very clearly that the kingdom of God is both now, but not yet. We live in this in-between zone, if that makes any sense. I've said that once before, but to try and reiterate that. We need to start seeing the world as maybe God sees it, just which is slightly differently. So um, just a few stats. I've got a PowerPoint which I'll put up in a minute, but I just did dig out because I, I, I don't know whether it's a, a, just a me thing, but I do love me facts and stats and lists. I love it. And those that have been to the gathering, the men's camp, will know that I do dine out on top 10 lists. But I've got some stats. And I thought this was quite fascinating. 1990, having said that this sermon's not about horror movies, I just found this interesting. In 1990, they made, uh, around the world, 229 horror movies. 
In 2000, they made 358. In 2006, which is the most recent stat I could find, they made 874. Isn't that amazing? It's like an exponential growth curve. It is true, isn't it, that people are fascinated by the concept of evil. No, and, you know, tarot cards, witchcraft, spells, all that kind of stuff. I also found out while I was surfing Google, it's amazing what you find out when you get into Google. Once I started looking up these stats, apparently, and this, please do not do this, but apparently your average horror film makes the average person burn 200 calories. I have to run around the block to do that. But I'm not advising you to do that. It's just, a, I thought it was quite interesting because of the stress, obviously. Also, I found out that 65% of British people do not believe in personal evil or the devil. 65%. But many people believe in angels. That's weird, I thought. We like what's, we like what's going to be good, but we like to ignore what might be bad. It's better to believe in angels, isn't it? They're like nicer and more fun. 18% uh, also believe uh, that you can be possessed, apparently. These are not necessarily Christians. So in other words, there's this kind of superstition thing. I don't think it's helped by this. Let me put the first image up. Um, I've got a... Can you switch to my PowerPoint, please, Cubanch? I don't think we're helped by this. This is the medieval image of the devil. And if you put in devil, you get all kinds of strange pictures. But this is... Can I just... Let's just make this clear. This is not in the Bible. This is not a biblical picture of the devil. Please don't get offended that in church I put a picture of the devil up on the screen. That would be being superstitious. That is not him. Just so absolutely clear. So I did think, I mean it came from, actually this image of the, the, the weird bloke with horns and the, the pitchfork in fire actually came from a fusion of different traditions, beliefs and different evil figures from a whole bunch of different religious systems and it was all you know cobbled together in the 1500s and we've got that but actually the Bible's description of the devil is very different so I thought let's put up on the screen four or five verses that the, the Bible has to say about the devil. So, just to be clear, whereas 65% of British people don't believe in the concept of personal evil or a devil figure, the Bible is clear that there is one, that there is a personal evil, and that would be our position as a church. So, um, 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that actually he masquerades as an angel of light, Satan meaning rebel, he is an angel of light. So um, he's more um, he's more like uh, like Al Pacino in that film than the red bloke. What was the Al Pacino film? Devil's Advocate, suave, sophisticated, rather than um, Pitchfork Man. Uh, next one. This tells you what he's trying to do. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil. So often you hear people refer to the devil as the enemy, which, which is a language of my choice, really. I'd, I'd call him the enemy. He's, he's my enemy. He's our enemy. 
He is at work and he says that the Bible says that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, to put it in our language, he's looking for targets. He's out and about and he's looking for targets. So he comes as an angel of light, but he's looking for targets. Uh, let's have the next one. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. So the devil also believes in God as do his demons, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit, also believe in God. Uh, but what is he trying to do as well as devour you? Uh, next one. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, said Jesus. But the enemy comes only to steal, kill and destroy. So he, in other words, he is always trying to do the opposite of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is trying to give you life and the offer of life to the full the devil wants to snatch it away from you and destroy you and that could either be slow or it could be quick but it's nasty so whenever you see what God is trying to do you can pretty much believe that the enemy is trying to do the opposite of that all the time that's how he works and it's it's clever uh, where did he come from? I'm going to read this to you. Uh, the Bible would tell us uh, that the devil was actually uh, a fallen angel. So he is not, just to be clear about this, he is not omnipotent. He is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-seeing. He was, according to the Bible, uh, look at it going to this massively now, but he was a created being. An angel. What seems to be clear from scripture is that angels have free will. They have a free choice to love God. Uh, Satan was a beautiful, powerful angel who decided he wanted all the love and glory for himself and so rebelled. And we have an account of his fall. In fact, the Bible's fascinating because you get these little snippets all over the place. I haven't got time to go into them all today. But if you do, when you're doing your own Bible study, do you know sometimes, just a little aside, while my brain's firing off in different directions, as it does, you know like, um, like sometimes routine Bible study can get, like you can just get a little bit, you think, oh, it's hard work. Do you ever have that? Or is that just me? That's not just me, is it? It's like it's hard work, isn't it? So he's systematically reading through the Bible, or it's like, mm, you know, why do I watch Jamie Carl? No, I don't. That's a joke. But you know what I mean? feels like that. Well, I think a great way of studying the Bible is pick a theme. Because this, this is where I work. Think, well, I'm going to look up this, or I'm going to look up that, or I'm going to see what the Bible says about that. And it draws you into loads of different scriptures. And that's when, you know, like the cross-reference bit in the Bible, like if you've got a Bible that's got cross-reference bits, you think, what's all that about? What's all the small print in the middle for? Or underneath that's when you get led in this like all these weird directions and you find interesting snippets like a little verse you think it's that's fascinating they're like little windows on the spiritual world or on the way jesus operates you never saw before anyway this one here in isaiah 14 is is some scholars say an account of a of a king in the old testament times who fell from grace but it's also universally understood to be a kind of a, a spiritual insight into the fall of Satan. It says at verse 12, uh, Isaiah 14, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. 
You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I'll ascend to the heavens. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. Pride, see? Pride. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And he has been operating since the dawn of time. You'll know the account of the devil in Genesis 3. When they're in the garden. Adam and Eve are in the garden. And you get a window here. You get a window on how Satan operates. He appears like a serpent and he whispers into Eve's ear when Eve says, oh, we must not eat from this tree. The serpent whispers, did God say? Did he? Did he say that? That's, you don't need to worry about that. That's all right. You go ahead. You'll be fine. That's what he does. See, the Hollywood image of evil is people's heads rotating round and round. <laughs> the biblical picture of evil is to go for the heart of the structures of society and tear people apart and make us willfully rebel against God even sometimes unknowingly. Particularly, what the enemy would love is a church who doesn't even believe he exists or not even mindful of his action. He'd love that. But that's how he works. Did God say? Did he? And I tell you, I don't know about you, but when the enemy's working against me, and he does, when I'm, when I'm feeling full of faith or absolutely sure about something, you can be absolutely sure that it's followed by a still small voice of doubt. Out of nowhere. Dead. Really, Carl? Really? really? God's not saying that. Or if you do that, that's going to really hurt. Don't, don't take that step of faith. That little still small voice of doubt. But what we need to be absolutely clear about today, if I can accomplish any, if we can accomplish anything together today, is just to be mindful that there is a spiritual battle around us, but not to be frightened of it, just to understand it. Because if you understand it, we'll stand strong better. And I think we get another brilliant window in Daniel 10. And I've read this to you before, some months ago. But this is an account where Daniel, Daniel was in a season where he was praying and fasting. And it says here in Daniel chapter 2, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And we talk, spoke a week or two ago, didn't we, about fasting. Now that gets you spiritual breakthrough. Well, Daniel's in that zone. He's, he's what we could do in what we call now Daniel fast. 
I mean, he's, he's just not eating choice food. So he's only eating beetroot. That's what's happening. <laughs> Poor fella. On the 20... And then it happens. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. And I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upfaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And his voice was like the sound of a multitude. That would be a terrifying vision, wouldn't it? It's exactly the same description as you see of Jesus in Revelation. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. They're amazing. So other people, they're there, but they can't see anything, but they feel it. There's this awesome presence, it's overwhelming, so they just, let's just get out of here. I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. <coughs> then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid. It's important that. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. What on earth is that all about? In other words, Daniel has set his mind to pray. He's fasting, he's praying. Nothing happens for three weeks. And then he sees this vision that many scholars, I mean there's a debate over it, but many scholars agree is Jesus, or some say it's an incredibly powerful angel. I, after looking at this for years, I think it's a, a vision of Jesus personally. And then he says, I'm paraphrasing it, Daniel, I heard you. We heard you when you first started praying, but I was having a punch up. With, with this spiritual power, the prince of Persia, a territorial spirit, a demonic power over our whole nation. And then Michael came to help me. The archangel Michael came to help me. And, and then we overthrew the prince of Persia together and now I'm here. What's up? That's amazing. That, that is a window, do you not see it, on the spiritual world that's around us. You might think, Beachy, that sounds mad. Well, maybe. Maybe mad to us because we're so locked into the physical world that's around us. We're denying the spiritual world that's around us. But the Bible is clear. There is a spiritual war raging around us all the time. And when we pray, somehow... We see spiritual breakthroughs. We don't know 
what that is doing in the spiritual world when we are seeking God. But clearly, something is happening. What it tells us is there are spiritual battles to be fought and won. And the thing is, and I felt this while I was praying and thinking about the thing, particularly this morning, I was just got up, fed the dog, sat on my sofa, pondering on it. And I thought, do you know what? Some of you are involved in spiritual battles now and you don't even realise it. The Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood, doesn't it? Ephesians 6.12. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and powers, the powers of this dark age. Some of us are involved in spiritual battles now and we don't even realise it. I'm not one for seeing a demon behind every bush. Do I believe there are demons at work? Yes, because I've encountered them and I've prayed for people. More on that maybe in a bit if I remember. I've encountered it many, many times. It's not Hollywood. It's just, it's just the presence of darkness in the world. I'm not one for thinking I got stuck in a traffic jam on the way to a meeting that must have been the devil. No, it's just a crumbling UK road infrastructure and there's too many cars on the road. <laughs> Honestly, let's sort it out. Let's deal with that. Got to get a little bit real. You know, I cooked a birthday cake and it fell over and hit the floor and everything. No, it's just funny. Make another cake. It's not a demon. I think they're busy doing other stuff, like trying to wreck marriage and destroy people's lives and cause genocide. So I, I, do I think they can niggle us? Yes. Do I think there are things that grind us down? Yes. But I think as soon as we get our eyes off the small stuff, the enemy starts ignoring you. Do you see what I mean? Because you'd rather be locked in fear all the time about things. But understanding that there's a spiritual battle out there, that's different. I've told you before, I'm sure, I'm sure I told you this, that I, when I was a salesman in, in the bank, a deeply godly job flogging people financial products they didn't need so I could pay me mortgage. <laughs> when I did that, I had one client, I said, what do you do for a living? Hopefully you're going to sell them loads of stuff. They said, I'm a medium. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Man of God insurance salesman versus medium. So um, I thought, I'm sorry, you know, thinking fast, I'm thinking, how do I get the gospel into this one? So I said, I just, I, it was a Holy Spirit moment of inspiration. I just said to the medium, it's a woman, actually, woman medium. Uh, I just said, um, do us a favor. I said, have you got spirit guides? She said, oh yeah, got three. Well, cool. Uh, I said, Ask them a question. Ask them who's in charge on the other side. I thought that's a fair question, isn't it? She said, I'll do that. She I've never asked them that. I said, we'll ask them. So we'll do the stuff today. Then we'll we've got to book another meeting. Then come back and tell me what the answer was. Should I? So uh, we booked an appointment with a follow-up meeting for two weeks later. She never turned up. And so I tried to get in touch. We didn't have email back then. Couldn't email her. So I tried to left a message on a mobile, phone to her office. She didn't turn up. And then I saw her, because my office was based in a bank. I saw her in a banking hall in the queue. So when I returned, hi, didn't turn up, you know, trying to get hold of you and everything all right, and, you know, just sit and have a chat. And she said, oh, you know, it's a little bit cheaper. She said, well, come, put me in the office, have a coffee when you've done your stuff. So I hovered around to make sure, the embarrassing fact, I mentioned you come back to the office. So she came back into the office, and I said, just like, look, hey, look, if you don't want to do business with us, that's absolutely fine. You just need to let us know. I'm not precious about it. I'm not going to hound you. It's not the way I work. It was, actually. But anyway, so I'm not going to do that. It's got a mortgage to pay. Uh, so, um, I said, but I've got a question. 
You know, I said, ask who's in charge on the other side. Did you ask? She went, yeah, I did. I said, what was the answer? And this is absolutely incredible. She said, the, the spirit guides, she had names them, I can't remember what they were. She said, the spirit guide, it wasn't like Jeff and Keith. It was more weird than that would be, wouldn't it? Said, um, she said, the Christ is in charge on the other side. Not, not Jesus, she said, the Christ is in charge on the other side. I said, wow. I said, what does that make you think? She said, well, I've tried not to think about it because the next thing they said to me was, if you talk to that man in the bank again, I'll stop talking to you. He said, that's my job. So I make my money. I thought that was another fascinating little window, don't you? Isn't that incredible? that the spiritual world, the battle, is raging all around us, all the time. So let me just bring this into land with a few little pointers here. Um, I think the enemy is at work. There is a spiritual world work going on around us, but you need to be mindful of one thing. His aim is actually to hurt Jesus Christ. And he does that by hurting you, and by using you to rebel against him, and to adopt a spirit that is counter to the spirit we're meant to live by, by living opposite to the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. He'd love us to use the opposite, debauchery, hate, anger, dissensions, factions. That's the work of the enemy. I, I think that is, you know, I've told you I've encountered demons in people, I've seen people healed by seeing demons leave people. Uh, and, I, and I haven't got time to go into all of that today. I think I want to do a sermon on that because it's too involved for today. I'll just put that thought out there for another time. But I do realise, I, I believe, I come to understand that the greater work of the enemy against the body of Christ is factions, dissensions, disunity, or apathy. If we can switch us off so we don't care, so we're lazy Christians, it's just as effective as knowing that he is there for him and getting obsessed about it. There's two spectrums. You either get obsessed about the devil, so you become superstitious and you're not in faith for anything, see a demon behind every bush, or you just wipe out any activity or action or energy for Jesus Christ, or any passion for his name, you're just, you're just as an effective weapon in his hands. So I think there's a balanced way of living for him, which is the path of looking to the light, righteousness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, being grace-filled, passionate about Jesus, and understanding that we are in a spiritual battle and being mindful for that, exercising the spiritual disciplines, being prayerful, sharing the gospel. What an amazing spiritual weapon that is, sharing the gospel. We need to understand, I think, that you're a walking declaration of war against the forces of darkness and the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Sorry if we didn't tell you that before you made the decision to follow him. That was just an oversight. Quite an important one, granted. But from the minute you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are all, according to 2 Corinthians 5.20, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That means that spiritual powers are watching you too. You're being observed. 
you're a walking declaration of war against the forces of darkness. That fascinating another little window in scripture when Paul in Acts 17, uh, Paul comes across uh, the, 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 oh not Paul, sorry, the, the, the Jewish chief priests, the sons of Sceva. They were, they were going around delivering people of demons and they were saying, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. So they weren't Jesus followers, but they realized that the name of Jesus had spiritual power. How cool is that? So they're going around going, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, demons come out. And demons were coming out of people. And then they come across a powerful demon. One day they go, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. I'm paraphrasing now, back to the Essex version of the Bible. Uh, the demon basically looks back at Paul. Check it out, it's in Acts. Demon looks back at, uh, not Paul, but the chief priest and says, um, well, hold on a minute, my old son. I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul the Apostle is, but I haven't got a clue who you are, and gives him a kicking. <laughs> and that's interesting, because it tells us something, that the Apostle Paul was known in hell. So if we're Christ's ambassadors, we are known in hell. You're, you are known in in hell the question is what for that's the question but the enemy knows we're around you are a walking declaration of war against the forces of darkness and obedience to Christ that's what winds him up and makes you almost untouchable so a couple of things here just to finish with I remember when I felt called to leave my job and go into what we call full-time ministry. I was offered, I was two weeks time, I was gonna go to be interviewed to be a Baptist minister in Ipswich in a moldy, smelly, damp hall by 12 old men who looked angry. Actually, they were quite angry when I turned up. And Karen did it with me and I had to stand there and the first test to be a Baptist minister was to read from the Bible. They said, wanted to read from 1 Corinthians 1. That's the test if you could preach. Seriously, so I had to read it in a preacher voice. I did that. Then they ask you loads of questions. But what I didn't realise was that the two weeks previously, I got a phone call from a headhunter. I had my interview to be a Baptist minister lined up, and a headhunter phoned me up in London. Cut a long story short, found myself sitting in front of the MD of the biggest personal financial brokerage in London, very, very famous company. And the MD sitting there, his Armani, gave me a little espresso. We all sit in a very cool glass office. I was 25 years old. He said to me, you're a very talented salesman. He said, I'll make you a millionaire by the time you're 30. I'll put you in a BMW. You'll be a millionaire by the time you're 30. But I want your soul. That's what he said to me. I was on the tube on the way home thinking, millionaire, oh, BMW. Church planning on a council estate. It's <laughs> <laughs> really horrible. It's really horrible. Obviously, I chose the church planting thing after six weeks in the other job to make some money. No, I didn't. I didn't. I did. I walked out. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do that. I thought, wow, that's amazing. I want your soul. Am I saying that every well-paying job is of the devil? No, but he knew my Achilles heel. Bit of money. Bit of cash. That's what he wants. 
you wind him up when you follow his strategy. Another time, on the, on the occasion, I was going to leave being senior minister of a church to go to Christian Vision for Men, which people told me was spiritual suicide because it was a very dying ministry at the time. I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt this oppression on me. I just got to tell you as it happened. Karen, I believe that night, it might have been one night she woke up feeling this presence in the room too. That did happen on an occasion. I can't remember if it was this one, but I felt it's a pressure. I could barely breathe. I could feel it, and I thought, I was wrestling inside. Do I leave being a Baptist minister to go and run to be an evangelist? Do I do so? And I don't know whether it was an audible voice. I can't tell if I was awake or not. I, I don't know, but this guttural sound in my ear said, don't do this. And I must have gone back to sleep or been asleep. It might have been a nightmare. I can't tell you. But I woke up in the morning thinking, this is so much the right thing. The enemy hates it when you're obedient to Christ. And what we know from Luke 4.13 is that he prowls around looking for people and he left Jesus. He says when Jesus was in the desert, as he was leaving, said the devil left him until an opportune time. So he's at work. But we praise God, don't we, for the cross, which tells us that all of his work was defeated and we know some fascinating verses like 1 Corinthians 2.8, look this up later if you're making notes, that not even the angels knew the plan of the cross. It was the ultimate, ultimate death blow against the forces of darkness, which is why we we're a gospel-centered church. And you'll know the passages in Isaiah 53, which are so important, the description of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, which just makes the enemy rage. He took our pain, bore our suffering, Pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What an amazing truth that is. And my advice to you is this. If you ever feel you're under oppression from the enemy, or you think you're in the middle of a spiritual punch-up, or you're wrestling with stuff with your kids, or in your family, or there's some pressure and you think, is, this, is the enemy in this? I t I've got a very simple solution. I, I praise the name of Jesus. Give thanks to Christ. The enemy hates it. In Jesus' name. Put my trust in him. Oh, it's a prayer I'd use. I've been, you know, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you be in this situation? Now, I, I remember just Karen and I wrestling over a particular family situation. Wrestling, wrestling, you know. It was like, oh, I just don't know what to do, you know. And, you know, sometimes it's feeling in tears about it. And I could sense the enemy was at work. And I'd be driving long distances around the country with this weight on my shoulders and rowing about it and rowing about it. Then I sort of hit this moment of thinking, i just got to bring Jesus this, bring Jesus into this. And, and I tell you, the light shone in months later. And it's like the Daniel thing. I heard you, Carl. I heard you. I was delayed, but I'm here now. And we've seen a light shine in. The name of Jesus, as the medium told me, is far greater than anything else. So let's be a church that understands that there is a spiritual battle, but puts Jesus in front of that. So we're not on the back foot. See what I mean? We're people of faith, confidence in the power of the cross. Confident in the resurrection. 
Can you imagine the howl that came out of heaven, uh, out of hell, when Jesus rose from the dead? Can you imagine the anger that came out of hell? It was like, we killed him. Oh no. Didn't see that coming. And we live in the light of that. 